What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Nightmares Podcast, where we talk about all things horror, movies, music, comic books. Uh, the other day, uh, uh, Halloween and horror-themed bakeries. Um, but today, we have a very special guest on uh, the Nightmares Podcast. We are very excited uh, to have him on. Um, and uh, that, of course, is Mr. Nick Benson. Thank you so much for having us on. If you wouldn't be so kind to introduce yourself and uh, what you're all about. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, guys. Um, as you know, my background stems 35 plus years in the business. I started out as uh, a lot of people don't know this, so maybe this will be new for your podcast. Is that originally I started out a uh, uh, an apprentice film editor very early, uh, right out of high school. Uh, I started out as an apprentice film editor, and that was literally cutting celluloid. And, you know, working on a Chem 8 plate, which I don't know if you guys know what that is, but that's a pretty old – you load the film on the on the, on the the deck and, and uh, literally splice it with a razor blade. So Zach, Zach would probably know more about that than I would. Yeah, that's how I started out and, uh, and then moved on to sound and then kind of fell into the effects side of it by uh, – I played in a band and um, wound up – randomly wound up roommates with Steve Johnson and Kevin Brennan. So that's kind of how I, I literally fell into effects because I was trying to do um, like show performance things with my band. So I'd like bounce things off of Steve and eventually he just was like, why don't you just come make rubber monsters? <laughs> so, right. so did you originally want to get into editing at all? Um, well, I, my whole family's in the business. So, um, my mom was an executive for universal. Um, my stepfather was an editor and, uh, I, my uncle was an engineer for NBC. So like my whole family was in the business and I, you know, I got kind of toured around a lot of places when I was young and I got, I really got the bug for the, the industry itself by being around it. Nice. So. Nice. Well, that actually answers half of my question. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so, and, and, um, uh, we have a tradition on the Nightmares podcast. Uh, we, uh, we, I tend to ask one question, and it kind of, you know, explodes into a whole long uh, conversation, which is, is when did horror um, enter your life? Um, uh, and, and then, obviously, when did that? passion for horror get brought into your professional career obviously you just said you your family's in the business you were kind of turned yeah, around but when did uh, horror uh rear its uh, fantastic and lovely face in your life <laughs> very early um i was definitely addicted to the scary stuff you know being that my mom was with universal I got to kind of have carte blanche anytime I went there. So, you know, I, I'd see they used to, in the old days, they used to have the monsters walking around the park and greeting people. I think they still do that occasionally. Um, but like they had them, you were more immersed in that stuff at that time. Uh, and I just, I couldn't get enough of the universal monsters. I couldn't get enough of, uh, you know, I wound up the older I got, I got into hammer horror and I would like, my mom didn't like me watching that stuff, but I'd, you know, sneak, she'd go to sleep and I'd sneak and watch it anyway. Uh, you know, stupid shit like that. Um, famous monsters of Filmland magazine, obviously like that's a, that was a huge one for me. Um, and Fangoria and as, you know, as time went on, all that stuff was like, that was a big deal for me. 
I was always attracted to scary shit. I always loved it. Nice. I love, I love that, man. That's, that's, that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you're, 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 you're talking to two guys that's already drinking the horror Kool-Aid on that. Um, yeah. uh, so, you know, it, so it, 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 I imagine it kind of just naturally, uh, formed, you know, into your career side because you, you've always loved the scary stuff. You have a family in the entertainment industry and you went, well, this just two plus two equals four just makes sense. Absolutely. Like one of the things my, my, my ex stepfather, he's my ex stepfather now, but one of the things I remember really early as I was probably between five and seven years old, I don't remember exactly, but he used to bring home, uh, films to like screen on our wall. Like we had a projector and he would bring shit home just for the hell of it. Um, but he was, he was the editor on food of the gods. And I remember, uh, you know, watching that at home before the rest of the world got to see it. And that was one of the coolest things ever. So it was like, you know, I had to figure out how to be a part of that somehow. And that, you know, as I, as I grew up, it translated into like work. Obviously I started in the business doing different things, but, uh, I worked for, as I said, an editor, then a sound studio. Um, but all of my music, all that stuff was always really dark. Like I was really attracted to the dark. I, I liked writing dark stuff. I still actually do, um, you know, and and just everything and anything dark and creepy and scary, whatever, you know, it's just always, always a big deal for me. Nice. Who were some of your musical influences when you when you're growing up that kind of, oh, you know, gears? I'm, I'm sure that's a long list, but, you know, I'm just it's I'm a just very curious. long list, a very long list. Anything from, you know, some classicals like uh Bach or uh, Mozart to um, gosh to even even to art like even even all of the art I'm attracted to is all really kind of dark Hieronymus Bosch um, H.R. Giger I was always really attracted to everything dark <laughs> Ed, Edvar Monk the scream they um, yeah of course they um, uh, the one of my personal favorites yeah the um uh, so and then um i'm, I'm sure yeah, so yeah no go ahead go ahead so more music was like in the like from my era it was like i started getting into like punk and then punk led to the sort of post-punk alternative you know Susie and the banshees uh christian death uh you know um god there's so many so many bands it's such a huge list of really dark toned music um and then, you know, obviously that I was one of the, I was one of the founding members of a band called London After Midnight, and that was a very dark band. But that was the that was the roommate I was with when I wound up roommates with Steve Johnson. So, you know, it was kind of a interesting thing to have Steve just say, you know, hey, why don't you come make rubber monsters? And uh, I kind of left the rest of it behind me. <laughs> and the and the the rest is history, as they say. And obviously, yeah. Zach and I are, are. I have a very eclectic, you know, uh, amount of music. But Zach and I are obviously massive metal fans. Um, uh, so I'm yeah. sh- I'm sure I'm sure Ozzy had something to do with the Black Sabbath, uh, Slayer, absolutely. The um, all, absolutely all the classics. Black Sabbath. As a young man, I think I think at age ten, I started listening to Sabbath and uh, Iron Maiden. I mean, you know, like a lot of really good metal. That's when I started learning to play guitar, actually. It was when I was about 10 to 12 years old. Um, and the, all of that stuff was – that I was really into that. 
you know, really into Sabbath. My mother hated that that music. <laughs> the devil's music, you know. Oh man. The oh um, uh, yeah, the oh um, my uh, the um yeah my 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 <laughs> my nana my dad and my aunt Debbie loved Led Zeppelin and and my yeah. my nana used to be like it sounds like Chinese music. All they sound right. about. <laughs> They, um, uh, you know, obviously this was 1972 and I, you know, people are a little well, bit I, more uh, direct back then. Yeah, I totally get that. I had an aunt that was really into like Zeppelin. She'd always buy me music and like she would buy me stuff like and, and not that it's not great stuff like Zeppelin's great. And um, like ELO, like I loved ELO. Oh, no um, kidding. Nice, nice. But like, yeah, I mean, it's just there's so much there musically that like influenced me from from a kid as from growing from a kid. It's just like there was so much there. And that was really a good era, you know, to go through the 70s into the 80s and with music because there's just so much there that was there to draw from. The, um, I, always, I often say it's the it has the most quantity of quality. Um, uh, the, the, there's the most, you know, the most amount of quality within that time. And, uh, it's always really, and when, and when people, when I talk to people on that metal music, I, I say, um, they say, well, you know, who's, who's great. Who's the best. I was like, if you want to start your metal education, I said, you got eight bands that you should start with, and then you can expand yeah. your, your, yourself out there, um, for English and for American. Um, I would yeah. say start with, um, Black Sabbath, um, Motorhead, yeah. Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. And then, Absolutely. and then go yourself to the big four: Anthrax, Slayer, Megadeth, Metallica. You know, you start yeah. there. You got a really good metal education at that point. Then you can move on to other yeah. fun stuff. And and then when and when you get real crazy, you can, you and I can listen to Cannibal Corpse together um, and have a good time. <laughs> the um, which, by the way, is still one of the best scenes of Pet Detective. Um, uh, I absolutely <laughs> love <laughs> seeing like that's me. Like that would be me at the you know I'm the guy who walks into. Kuma's Corner in Chicago that they play grindcore and I'm wearing boat shoes and a and a and a, and a powder blue shirt <laughs> singing to grindcore and people are like, "What is this? Who is this person? And what planet did he come from?" Keep them guessing. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. The um, I love that though. I love that you have you had such an eclectic you know upbringing with yeah. Arts. You know you know it's interesting too that you brought Ozzy up because the other day I actually posted on my fan page I posted a, a video that just got released by Ozzy and I'm just, I'm still so inspired and blown away by that man because he has been to hell and back and he at 70, what is he? 77 now? Yep. 75, 77 years so old, something like there. that. And he's still putting music out. And, um, I don't know if you guys have seen ordinary man, but I'll be goddamned if that video doesn't bring you to tears. It It's pretty incredible. Like, the stuff he's doing today is still just as great as it was when he was a young man. Yeah. His last album was honestly amazing. It, I, it, it, you could tell it's like him, like realizing he's coming to the end and everything. And it's just like, man, it's, it's, it's beautiful and depressing at the same time. Like Ozzy, Ozzy was my introduction to metal. So to, cause to see it just like come to an end like that, it's like, man, like that it's rough, but at the same time, it's like, (laughs) everything that has a beginning has an end and it has to happen at some point it is and that's why that's why like that video that music video for ordinary man just like brings me to tears because it's all about mortality yeah yeah and it's uh it's fuck it's just it's heavy but it's such cool like his lyrics are cool they're very very all about what the world is today and very like in your face so he's you know while he is the king of darkness it's like 
it's pretty punk rock that he's still trying to slap the world in the face and tell him to wake up, you know? Even in the darkest moments, you could find light. Yeah. I think that's actually one of my favorite parts about horror. Um, and I think that that's one of the biggest misinterpretations. Not, not all horror, but but a lot of it is the, you know, it, it's not about the personification of evil. It's the triumph over it. Um, uh, you know, not in all cases, but in a lot of them. They, um, and I think that's been always been my argument about horror. Um, I love it that Ozzy got to say that because I know that Lemmy didn't. Um, yeah. uh, the, um, uh, and, and that's, I think that, that that's immediately what I said, you know, thought to myself, I'm like, you know what, let me, didn't get a shot to, to say everything he needed to say before, before he checked out. And I'm so glad that Ozzy is getting the opportunity to do so. So, I mean, which is, I mean, you know, I remember I saw an interview with him one time and he said, if I didn't find black Sabbath, I, I'd be fucking dead. The, um, I'd be in prison or I'd be dead. I was a bipolar, yeah. uh, a butcher. In and then I probably would ended up as a serial killer or a criminal, and I probably would yeah. be dead. The um, but Black Sabbath saved me. The um, and yeah. and then and and then you know and and then saved me again. The uh, from myself. The um, later on. So it, absolutely, it, there's just always something so so powerful with Ozzy, man. He always has something, you know, just something, just something about him. Just it's it just this this aura, and it's it's always fun going past the personality of Ozzy and the legend of Ozzy. And getting to the real Ozzy, which is which is fucking awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And it was it was cool because that reminded me of a funny story. I have a a funny story about that. I was I was a very young man uh, when Blizzard of Oz first came out, and I remember just saving my my pennies and doing all this yard work. And I remember my dad taking me to the fucking music store to to buy it. And we get back and like our weekends were spent like hanging out by the pool or whatever. My dad was really cool. He's like, hey, why don't you put on that new album you got? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think you'd like it very much. And he's like, oh, come on. I'm not I'm not I'm not a stiff old man. I can I can handle it. And I put it on. And like two songs later, he was like, OK, I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I'm good. Um, that happened. The, the same thing happened to me, except it was my dad and Ramstein. Uh, no, there you go. <laughs> he's, he, he's like, he's like, what right the on. fuck? You know what though? But but I love it too. My grandfather's a hundred percent German, and he still speaks German. So he's like, he's like, I was like, what the fuck are they saying? And especially like some of like the oh, real you like play him some really scary stuff. Play him a uh, Leibach. Oh, absolutely, dude. And, and I remember I played. Um, oh my god, yeah. And then the the funniest thing though is all their dirty songs that are in German. And watching my grandfather like look at me and, and either like laugh or give me like a little. And Zach knows my grandfather. He's a He's a very like joking guy. He's a very like um, funny, funny guy. And he, you know, and and I remember he just, yeah, um, uh, I think he heard it and he and he went, ah, <laughs> nice. That's awesome. <laughs> I can't remember what song it was, but it was like one of their dirty songs. And That's and awesome. he and he was like and he was like he was like ah, very nice. <laughs> they, um, but um, uh, yeah, listening to Do Hust and and uh, and Fry Fry um, was was just it was fucking dope to. To That's listen to that, great. but everybody heard noise, just German angry noise. <laughs> the um, which yeah. is great. The um, I, I know Zach, is, I'm sure, has like a bunch of memories of of having like you know listening to metal albums as he was growing up as well. Um, uh, you know the um, and really getting into that. I just did that shit alone, so nobody bothered me. <laughs> I'm nice yeah, and simple. I, I I was kind of the same way because I had little sisters and stuff, but I'd shut myself in my room, and I was one of those kids that like, um. You know, I was into like big stereo equipment, so I'd save my pennies and buy buy like big. And I figured out how to wire like four to six speakers in my bedroom, and my mother would just be like, 
I know you shut your door, but this is way too fucking loud. <laughs> <laughs> the back when shit was made well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the um, uh, you know, I oh, they just back then. So uh, I, I remember. Here's another funny oh, story. No, go I remember, ahead, go, 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 I remember please, please. doing the same thing uh, when I first got I, uh, when I first got introduced to punk. I was introduced to a band called the Plasmatics. You know who Wendy O. Williams is? Yeah, I know the Plasmatics. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I had this – I borrowed this Plasmatics vinyl from a friend of mine and I brought it home and I'm just blaring it in the in my room. And my mom is like, what the hell is that? Let me see that. She grabs the album cover and looks at it and it just sees Wendy on the – you know, on the cover with the tape over her breasts. And she's like, what in the hell? Get rid of this. What the hell are you doing? Oh, my God. Ooh, I have a fun fact, by the way, that you may or may not know, and Zach may may or not know. Do you know whether uh, who coined the term heavy metal? Uh-uh. It was a reviewer who went to go see Black Sabbath and said – this this is not music. I I don't know what this this sounds like just heavy metal dropping on the ground. It's just noise. Go. And literally <laughs> he has no idea that he coined the term heavy fucking metal. That's awesome. That idiot should have should have copywritten. The, that. I know, right? He probably he'd probably be a billionaire at this point. They um uh, so which is oh it's fucking dope. I, lo- I love I love metal. I love music. Um, the, so, all right. So, so Nick, I, I got to talk to you about, um, just something, um, real quick. Um, the, I, obviously you don't know this cause you probably haven't watched any of our episodes, but since episode two, society has been a discussion. Um, oh. uh, they, uh, they, uh, it has brought so much joy and just a lot of things to our lives. Um, and is going back. Um, a long time and you know the second episode I went on a 10 minute rant about seeing it for the first time the the holy fuck scene as as, as I describe it the um, uh, and um, and then after you know and um, you know and then continuing to introduce new people going to the music box and seeing it on 35 millimeter print and playing a fun game with my friend Vinny of who's the bringer and who's the brought um who's the one that brought the person here and who's the one who's already seen it um it's one of my favorite games and then obviously too br- and meeting brian usna as well um and just discovering he's such a nice and normal guy which was kind of weird they um uh, i just oh brian's kicking the ass i love brian. I, it, he it, it's just so like i literally shook his hand and i'm like i was like dude i love your movie man and you kind of expecting him to be uh, just a little odd just a little bit and but he was such the nicest guy he sh- he's like oh my god thank you so much for coming i really appreciate <laughs> i'm so glad you guys are fans and you enjoy it and and and, 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 and i just and i i, I would be remiss because i'm kind of fanboying a little bit just a little bit yeah i really do want to talk about you know your take on your experience and and you know and kind of how that all fit to you because it because it is an important uh, movie to uh to the very gooey movie (laughs) um there was there was there was there there was enough ky jelly um uh, oh my god to to, to slick back danny zuko's hair the um uh, from Greece. The um, I was waiting from the bus into that. I still have memory. PTSD when I even see a fucking tube of <laughs> <laughs> So this is your opportunity to, to to let us in on on some of the fun stuff you know from from that time for you, man. Because I got to hear it. Oh, that that set was so fucking weird. I mean, it was just it was weird to make too. I mean, it's not just a weird movie. It was weird to make just because it was not something that was even a n- remotely normal horror film <laughs> to say the so least. it was 
it was really bizarre. Um, I don't know if you got, uh, you know, you had Brian speak or whatever, but when he talks about the film, um, he brings up a lot. And, and this is a fact that original script of that was more like a blood cult. It wasn't, uh, wasn't anything like it turned out. Interesting. So it was, it, yeah, it was rewritten. Uh, original script by Woody Keith was a very blood cult and Brian did not want to make another blood cult movie. So, uh, he had like one meeting with screaming mad George. I remember him coming to the shop and George had this mask that he had done for Halloween. George is full blown surrealist. And, and I really follow that. That's why I fell in so well with him. Um, he had made this mask that had the hand coming out of its mouth and like grabbing its face and like pulling. Yeah. yeah. So that's where it all started. <laughs> Brian was like, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> whatever that is, I want. To yeah. Do whatever that. that is, I want to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and George was just like, Oh, well you like that. Let me show you this. So he showed him a few paintings that he had done. And, and Brian was just over the moon with the stuff that, that George had. And, um, yeah, he, he was like, you know, run wild with this. And of course, you know, if you've ever seen any interviews with George, you know how George is. Um, George is, he's just awesome. Like he's so fun to work with. He's just awesome to work with. He is such, his brain is constantly working. It's constantly thinking up new ways to do things and way, ways. He just, he lives as an artist. He is totally 120% an artist. Like he doesn't think it's funny because uh, I'll even go back a little. Let me back backpedal a little absolutely. and talk about Nightmare Four. Absolutely, Because absolutely. Um, on Nightmare Four, when I was working with George, like even Mick Strawn had like communication issues with with George because George is it's not just the language barrier because he's Japanese, but the the other side of it was that George talks like an artist. He doesn't talk like you know Lehman's terms. Doesn't explain. He's just like, oh, we're going to do this and that, and then like flying the freaking cockroach thing around the around the the shop. And Mick is like pulling his hair out, going, I don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about. I just hope it works when we get there. You know what I mean? So, so it, it was interesting to to sort of be in the middle of all of that, but knowing you know, it, it, on society, it was almost like Brian understood George and just knew that this was going to turn out just like he wanted. So he gave George like full creative license to just go bananas. And that's, that's really what we did. Absolutely. So, so you had mentioned just a bit, a bit ago, like, you know, like that, that was just a weird set in general or that specific day, you know, like I kind of want to get like your take, you know, on it, like, and, and how you were, you know, feeling and how, and how all the, you know, all the things went for you, you know, from a personal and a professional perspective. Right. Well, um, it, it was interesting. Like the whole prepping for all of it was, was really great because I got like, not only was George given creative license, I had just been brought and hired into the shop to work with George. And I was so excited to be doing that. And I had, uh, you know, I had just enough experience that, uh, I think George felt comfortable just handing me things in, in the project. And I wasn't, I hadn't been given that, that before I had, you know, been, it had been very specific what I was given at Steve's shop at XFX. And this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to paint. This is how I want it done. And, and then George gives me, um, initially he gave me the butthead, but I had to pass that off. 
uh, to Dave, um, David Grasso wound up doing that. Yeah, so I was given that to do and then I passed it off because what wound up happening was, as you guys know, that whole shunting sequence at the end was such a huge undertaking. Like it, it is probably the world's biggest rubber puppet show in the world. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, all of that had to be sculpted um, and we had we had built this pipe structure – around a um another uh like plywood structure that was to represent the couch that they're all sitting on so we had done all that to scale and george starts sculpting that entire thing all connected because what we did was we built the whole thing sculpted the whole thing and then cut it apart and molded each piece individually so that we could then put it back together on set later on nice. so what i wound up doing was uh the first thing after I passed off butthead to, to Dave Grasso was George wanted me to follow him. And like, he would, he would block out a sculpture and I would drop in some detail and sort of keep following him. Okay. It was like a, you know, we kept circling back and circling back and circling until it was done. And then I cut apart each section and I would take and mold them. Additionally, uh, he then gave me, um, the inside out body to do, uh, and Ferguson's, you know, stretchy face, like he wanted me to do Ferguson's makeup and, um, and then the subsequent inside out body. So I did both of those too. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a lot of work, man. Uh, but it was fun putting all that together. And then, but once we're on set, like that was a whole different experience. Um, like the cast and crew were all like a blast to be around all super cool uh, I do know – I do remember when Devin got on set though, there was some animosity amongst – I think from Billy um, because she got a lot of attention. She was a playmate. So uh, of, of course, course she had course. crew guys bringing in her issue. I mean, oh, will you sign this for me? Uh, so <laughs> she got a lot of attention. She got a lot of attention. Um, and uh, there was some – I don't know. There was some weird vibe between the two of them. Um, but other than that, I don't remember anybody being, you know, less than professional or less than cool. And everybody was great to work with. Um, there's just so many people involved in that mess, but yeah, we did like everything from, uh, Jenny being kind of twisted in the shower. Like I remember shooting that and she was, she was such a cool gal. And, uh, but it was, you know, it was weird. It was kind of a weird vibe. It wasn't that wasn't stuff that, you know, the sexual connotations and then like also the political overtone of all of it was kind of, you know, <laughs> weird. And, and, and that's why I don't think it was really well received in the States because, you know, obviously the wealthy didn't like being portrayed as, <laughs> as uh, bottom feeders. So, um, yeah, so it, you know, it's just it's just being around that, and then having to just dive in and do it. Like, I'll give you a for instance, um, George. When we did the inside out body, when we turned Ferguson inside out, yep. he's you know he's like a fucking genius when it comes to putting this stuff together and how to do it. 
But when it came to actually implementing it, he was like, well, we're going to put some worms and some some slugs and some things on it. And he's like, but I don't want to be anywhere near that stuff. <laughs> That's where he drew the line. So, like, <laughs> so I was like, "Well, wait a minute. You, wait, you're you're here. Why?" He's like, "Just go do it." <laughs> I'm like, okay, done. The um, so I had to go handle all the all the all the you know goopy fucking worms and all the shit on it. That's why it moves around in there after we pull him out after we pull him inside out and threw a bunch of blood and goo and and then threw the worms and the slugs and the all of that shit in there. He just wouldn't go anywhere near it. <laughs> hey, we he all was have... like, fuck that. I, I don't want anything. To, I, just, I told you how to do it. I just don't want to touch it. <laughs> the, uh, my, the, the master of, of all things perverse, and he doesn't like the bugs. <laughs> right. He did <laughs> not like he did not like those things at all. Oh, uh, you he know, man, everybody has out. everybody has their thing. Everybody has their thing that they're yeah. that they're um, uh, that they're um, uh, that they're not, you know, comfortable with, you know, and, and, and from what I heard, too, you know, it sounds like. That you know, when you're talking about having a weird vibe, I think you maybe you kind of all knew that you're. Uh, this is a cliche, but like kind of breaking ground and doing something very different than that has kind of not been done before. It's. It, it, I think it, that was. I think that was a big part of it. It wasn't like anything that had been done. It wasn't, you know. So it was really kind of bizarre territory, especially with the shunting. You know, people are like, "Wow, this is really, what the hell's going on here?" <laughs> you know. But, you know, they stepped up, man. The cast, like, they really, like, they got into into their parts. Like, you, you get the Connie that played Nan. Like, she was really – it's funny because she's such a sweet lady. But, like, at the same time, you know, she won't get into character. She was really creepy. And the same thing with the judge, you know, the judge. Like, I sculpted Jesus. the judge, too. And Yeah, the, the, yeah like, yeah, like he was fantastic. The um and I and I and I and he's such a good a good uh, um actor and character and that that that's yeah. such a crazy thing. By the way, I have to ask: Is the sign, the story of the sign, true? The um uh, that that Brian Usna put a, a sign on the door said, um, uh, "Ye who enter here, abandon all hope" or something like that. Yes. Um, I wanted to make sure. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to fact check and yeah. see if that sign yeah. actually did in fact exist. Yeah. The, yeah, Brian also had his kids on set at times. I don't remember if they were on set for some of the some of the earlier stuff, but I, I can't remember because I was underneath the, the couch when the whole shunting sequence was shot. I was underneath that, so the, you seem to be under underneath a lot of effects. Uh, you always end up underneath like a like a mechanic. I know. I I can't fucking get away from the goo. It's like the blob, the same thing, and like oh god, I don't yeah. know what it is. So how much KY jelly was it? The um, uh, do, well, do, do you actually know the numbers? There's a lot more than just KY involved in that. Okay. Um, there's a lot of methicel, a lot of ultra slime, and KY. So it's a lot of just goop. <laughs> and methicel, methicel is like kind of a it's a food thickener that's cl- kind of clear. Like if you ever ever had apple pie and you get that f- apple filler. Yeah. That that's made out of methicel, really. Uh, so methicel is is. Uh, used a lot we did we even used it on uh, the slipknot video i did with steve johnson nice so um yeah it's it, that there that stuff was everywhere all over everything and you know i mean it's just it's kind of funny because that was in the blob too a lot of that shit in the blob too and by the time i'm driving home i'm covered in it i look like i've been in a 
fucking Bukaki film or something. <laughs> I hope he didn't get pulled over um, uh, that night and have to explain what the yeah, fuck is going hey, on. Yeah, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> they, um, uh, so I'm sure you're wondering what happened here. Um, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's best that you know it's best that you just give me the ticket to move on. The um, <laughs> the um, so no more apple pie for Mark um, ever. The um, so now that you know we kind of transitioned over, you know, obviously. Um, um, so I, I, you know, I want to you know just ask you too. You know, did you before you walked on that set? Did you already have watched the original Blob, and did you have a a sense of this, Absolutely. or did you? Okay, I want to yeah, see. No, you... actually, uh, interestingly enough, um, like the Blob. I actually had reservations about that film because I was like, oh, God, we're remaking the blob. Really? Like, OK, it's cool. It's kind of kind of kitschy. It's fucking strawberry jam, whatever. Um, I wasn't thrilled about it initially. But um, as as I talked to the, you know, some of the effects artists that were friends of mine that were, were already working on it in the creature shop, um, they they were very good about like describing sequences to me and uh you know i wound up i didn't wind up in the creature shop i wound up up on set at dream quest working for a guy named mike fink but um it was great because initially they were like oh we need we need these kind of people and these kind of people so there was a whole range of things they were hiring for up there and when i sat down with mike he was like well shit you have enough experience in effects to like I can kind of lean on you for everything. I can have you as a puppeteer. I can have you as, you know, as like helping us set shots up, you know, this and that. And like, I kind of did a bunch of different things while I was there, but, um, that was kind of my role. But, um, you know, that, that as I got it, once I got a script, I, I was like, Oh man, this is like really a believable version of this thing. Like I, I thought, Oh, it's, you know, the fifties one was kind of campy and silly and, and I liked it, but it wasn't I wasn't like a super fan or anything. Whereas, you know, getting on to Nightmare, like I already knew the, the franchise and I was like a big fan of Freddy. So it was a l- little bit different. So it was kind of like I had reservations about getting on the blob. Um, but once I read the script, I was pretty excited about it. Absolutely. So, so you know, while we're on that topic, it, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, choosing projects and, you know, as you progress through your career, you know, you, you talked about having reservations about the blob. And then once you read the script and, and knew some people that were on on the team, you said, hey, you know, I'm I'm, I'm down. You know, how do you, you know, how do you approach the situation? Do you approach it from like, um, hey, this will be fun? Or is there a little bit more of, uh, you know, a merit that you require? What's your what's your, uh, you know, pseudo <laughs> checklist, I guess, you know, I'll, the, I'll actually answer this like Mick Strawn answers it. There was so many fucking movies being made in the 80s. It was one after the other, after the other, after the other. So like, I, I didn't really have a lot of time to be picky. Okay. Uh, I didn't really pick and choose my projects. I just kind of you know, you'd if you were coming off of one film, you'd start frantically calling your friends and being like, "Hey, what else is going on? What else is going? What are you on? What are you doing?" And uh, you know, talk to each other that way, and and they either help get you on something else, or or uh, you know, you get yourself on something else. So it was really just scrambling to work. Um, and as an artist and an independent contractor, it's it can be very stressful. Uh, at the time it was very stressful, but there was a lot of work and there was a lot of projects I didn't get to work on, um, that I really would have liked to, but I was already on something else. So, 
uh, yeah, at the time it was just like one, you, you go from one project to the next, to the next, to the next, and whatever you get on, you get on. And that honestly, when I got on the blob, it wasn't like I was, you know, I was just trying to get on something. And when they hired me, the pay was so good. The budget was so great. And they offered me so much money. And I was just like, yep, not even thinking about it. <laughs> Those reservations went right out the window. Yeah, they went right, right out the fucking window because the pay was so good. No, but, but it's advantageous, though, you know, in this case that you got the opportunity to get paid very well and work on something yeah. that you went, oh, shit, this is actually really good. And you're not just rehashing the original fucking blob. You're actually <laughs> yeah. going to you're actually going to say something different, you know, you know, and then, you know, and and not just, you know, be like, well, let's go and see if, what Steve McQueen is up to um, and see if we can, right. you know, Jerry Horn, you know, uh, Jerry rake him into this. Um, uh, you know, right. it was it was really about like saying something different and. And and really, um, uh, you know, and really having, you know, again, just saying something different, having something to say, having right. something to add. Well, to and, and knowing and knowing Chuck Russell was involved in it was sort of a sort of a, a thing where it was a comfort level there because he's, I mean, obviously he at the time he was a pretty big director, sure, and um, not an easy man to work for though, but uh, you know, like he had a reputation and. You know, already done Nightmare Three, so yeah, I was like, "Well, this could be pretty good," you know. And I'm willing to deal with the bullshit, um, uh, you know, yeah. uh, for the yeah. time being. Well, it was like, a, "Oh, Chuck Russell's directing it." Okay, you have my interest, and now I'm going up there to interview, and then they offer me the pain. I'm like, "I'm in." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes it's that yeah. simple. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> the um, uh, no, yeah, no, absolutely. The um, uh, you know, you had mentioned something earlier because, and you kind of sparked my curiosity. I'm sure Zach will uh, um, back me up here. What is something that you that uh, that you missed out on? The um, that because you, you're working on something else that you really would have uh, liked pump, to Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead was one of them. Oh, uh, I really wish that I had gotten to work on Pumpkinhead. Uh, I had an opportunity, but I but I'd already gotten hired on something else by the time I got the call back. Um, so that was a lost opportunity. Uh, I'm trying to think of some others. I know there's other ones. Uh, I think uh, I want to say Leatherface was another one, but I was already doing other stuff with, like I was already on like I think two other projects with K and B at the time. So like it's funny because K and B would like go and work for those guys was like you know they'd have seven fucking things going at once. Yo, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they had so many projects at one time and it was just like, you know, like I have a funny story about that too. But um, like we were working on Tales from the Dark Side and I can't – I can't – I think – I want to say Gross Anatomy at the same time. I don't remember if they were like totally exactly the same time but they were staggered. And then uh, like the Leatherface project uh, Mick was involved in but um, Greg Nicotero was kind of heading that team up. And then I remember being there late one night. I think I was finishing something either for – I can't remember if it was a mold for uh, Tails or if it was something for Gross Anatomy. I can't remember which. But uh, I got – I was stuck there late and then Nicotero was working on this rig to cut off somebody's head. Nice. And he wanted to test it. So he's like, hey, can you give me a hand with this? So uh, I, I – helped him do it and i just got covered in fucking blood <laughs> nice and nice. Uh, and luckily i i uh i only i had a very short drive home so i didn't think anything of it but i actually got pulled over by the police and my car searched and all kinds of stuff <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the um, uh, did you did you call? Like, no, I'm an effects guy, really. Like, no, really, okay. really. Get yeah. out of the out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> this was probably Los Angeles in the late 1980s, so things were a little crazy at that time. They um, uh, so they uh, yeah, just a little bit. They um, uh, so did you uh, did you end up calling uh, Nick to tell him about that or uh, or? Uh, tell him about the chat you got pulled over after that effect. Um, I, I Mick knows the story. I don't think uh, I don't think I've ever gotten an opportunity to tell Greg about it. Mm. It was just something funny that happened, and and you know, well, when it happened, I was scared shitless, of course, because I'm like, oh, these guys think I'm a fucking murderer. <laughs> but I mean, in make believe I am, but like not in real yeah, life. Yeah, but but after the fact, it was kind of like you know, Kevin Kevin Reeder, the guy I was working with at the time, I and I I was roommates with him at the time. We lived up in the Chatsworth Hills, and it was literally two miles from where KNB was. So I told him when I got back, and you know, got, got cleaned up and everything. He was just laughing his ass off at me. <laughs> that's that's awesome the um i know zach is is one of the one of the biggest uh, uh nightmare fans around um uh, you know or definitely up there you know with friday the 13th and the classics i'm sure he has a few questions uh you know regarding nightmare um uh, that he'd, he'd love to know um uh, you know and and chat about what was your experience working on the movie i guess that's a good place to start <laughs> It was it was great actually. That was one of one of my favorite films to work on. Um, all of them were like, people say, do you really have a favorite? No, not not really, but yes, I do. I say I usually default to Nightmare just because everybody involved in that film um, on four actually. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there was a writer strike during that, so like the cast was actually developing their own dialogue. Really. That movie, like technically film wise, uh, Dream Warriors is a better technical film. Um, but I'm more partial to four because really that that film was crew made. Like the whole crew really made that happen because we had a writer strike, we had actors kind of doing their own thing, and Rennie was given everybody really creative license to do whatever. Like it was really pretty cool to work on and uh, budget wasn't terrible. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Um, and, and it was really like for me personally, it was like, fuck, I get to work on a Freddie film. This is amazing. Cause I, you know, it was already de a developed franchise and I was, I was already a fan. So working on a Freddie film for me was a big deal. And I got to be a part of two sequences in it. I got to be a part of uh, Freddie's death uh, with Steve and then, um, also worked on the, uh, cockroach transformation with George. Ooh, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, James brought in, uh, one of the puppets used for the, uh, end sequence when Freddie dies. Uh, I think, I believe it was the shoulder piece. Yeah. That's yep. the one I puppeteered. Yep. You know, you, it's something interesting you just brought up about being a fan. You know, what's it like, you know, um, working on these sets and, but also at the same time being, a horror fan, you know, because I mean, it's something that we that we talk about a lot, you know, actually, I mean, because we we're filmmakers as well, but we're also fans of the genre and fans of every, of, of all these different movies and things that we grew up with. So it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting experience being kind of, you know, a fanboy or or geek out on horror while also participating in creating horror at the same time. So I'm curious about what your experience is like um, being a fan <laughs> by also working as well. Well, doing it at that time, it's it's kind of like that old adage that what do they say? They say if you if you do something you love, you never work a day in your life. 
Yep. Um, and that was really how I felt at the time. Like I felt there was nothing like I'm, I'm making rubber monsters. I'm dousing things in blood. I'm doing all these kills and, you know, creating all of this, all of this mayhem <laughs> and I'm getting paid to do it, you know? Um, so how can you really beat that? And I, I, that's why really like, even with my band, I just kind of turned my back on my band. Cause I, it was, you know, the, the industry required, as you guys know, if you're filmmakers, it requires 16, 18, 22 hours a day to make something. And, and sometimes you're really in the trenches for a long ass time, but you're pushing for that perfection and you're working towards the absolute best you can give. So, I mean, honestly, artistically for me, it was, it was fun. It was fucking messy at times, but (laughs) to say the least. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, look at some of that stuff. I, I, it's great to still, uh, honestly, I didn't even think 35 years later that, that any of this stuff would even be remembered, but I'm so stoked that it is. And I'm so stoked that I can go back and look at this stuff now. I'm actually, I actually got asked to speak at my son. My son just uh, started UNLV. He's in a film class there. They asked me to come speak because he told them that I worked on the Blob, and they are just huge Tremors and Blob fans. So I'm going to be speaking to the uh, their their film class. That's and, awesome. Uh, that's fantastic. that's really, that's you know, that's really cathartic for me because. You know, as as I say on a lot of interviews, and I love talking to fans. I love talking to other filmmakers. I love fostering all of it because we got to keep this alive. Like if if and the opportunities now are greater than they ever were because the tools are all there and they're available to anybody. Anybody can be a filmmaker. Doesn't mean you can be a good filmmaker. (laughs) But that being said it's given the tools to just about everybody in a much broader spectrum of people and they can play and they can you know you never know man we have so much more opportunity now with streaming and everything that like it's hard it's a hard business to be in and it's hard to make it but i am i am very happy and i love to push people to do that if that's what you love fucking do it you know what i mean i mean just do it I, I, I absolutely love that. The um, uh, Chris Walken once said, um, "If you want to build the house, go build the fucking house. Um, you'll figure it out eventually." Yeah. Um, you know, exactly. and, you know, and something I wanted to add to, you know, because I, I, I sound like a broken record um, in comparison to the other podcasts, but it, it, it's so much too is, uh, is the horror community, which, in my opinion, is the most welcoming, accepting. Um, you know, and, and and by the way, it's not just the fan to fan; it's the the professionals and the stars to the fans to the, I mean, they, yes. they go off to beers afterwards and everything else after they're done with the cons. Yes. And, and, and it's just, it's truly amazing to, you know, to do that. I mean, my girlfriend's an artist. She came along to one of the cons and she pulled me aside at the end of the day because she was planning on going to do cons herself. And she said, not only am I amazed at how nice people are, but how willing they are to help. And just say, hey, this is how you, this is how I did it. You know, you go to this con, and hey, let me get you the phone number of this person who yeah. helped me out. And 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 I, I can't name another uh, community, you know, it, 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 that that does that. I I, I can't. I, I really can't. Right. And I'm sure your experience has been um, similar, if not the same. Absolutely. I act. I actually get told a lot. Um, you know, God, you're so you're so nice and you're so helpful and. And I get told that a lot. And that's, you know, 
I do that because I don't think I'm better than anybody else. I just, I happen to be in film at a really great time to be making those films. And I, you know, literally fell into it myself. So I felt very fortunate that I did. I didn't get into that because of my mother or my, my connections in the business. That's not how I got into it. I literally fell the fuck into it. I happen to be roommates with a fucking effects God. So like I, I got lucky, you know, and, and, um, you know, if I can help people in that way, like I've, I've met people at cons. I'm like, follow me on Instagram if you have any questions. And they literally will email me a question. I've had, I've even had it where people are nervous to do that. And I'll have a friend email me the question and I'll, I answer it. And they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you answered it. Well, of course, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to tell you something I'm not going to do. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's fostering that art and that's what continues the art. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a fucking old man. I'm not going to be here forever. You know, I I'm, I'm a grandfather now. I, you know, maybe I've got 30 years left in me. I hope, I hope I have more than that, but you know, we, you just never know. And, and like fostering the, those relationships and helping those people along and pushing people to do it and don't be afraid of it. Just go do it. Um, that keeps this stuff going and there's bad stuff and there's good stuff. But, you know, I mean, let's face it as a horror fans, uh, I mean, at least for me, there's a whole lot of really bad films that I love because they're bad and silly, you know, I, they're so bad. They're great. You know? Yeah. And my son, my son's the same way. He showed me some films yesterday. He was here and, uh, he stopped, he stopped here to do some things and I think play D and D with his brother. But, um, it's just kind of funny because he showed me this this YouTube of this film and it was just absolutely awful, but it was so hilarious that it's uh, he's like, oh, you got to watch it. It's just <laughs> fucking riot. <laughs> it's so bad. It's a it's hilarious. So like now I've got this on my list to watch and I don't even know why because it looks just <laughs> terrible, but it's just so funny you can't help but watch it. You know, it brings you joy, so, man. It, it brings yeah. it brings joy. I mean, dude, I, I can't tell two things. One, I can't tell you how much joy Batman and Robin has brought in my life. It's an awful yeah. movie. It has brought me so much joy in my life of literally being in a right. – I was in an ice bar in Vegas, and we almost got thrown out because we were throwing Mr. Freeze puns back and forth. The um, <laughs> uh, Like literally like my, my buddy Vinny, I'd be like, oh, the Vinny would kill the dinosaurs. And he'd be like, the ice is out. The, um, uh, and he literally walked up to the bartender, grabbed his drink. He's like, cool body. The um, uh, <laughs> so I mean, like, and we we watched this movie uh, called Teacher's Pet. It was a terrible horror oh, movie, and it turns God. out, and it turns out, it was just to promote this guy's rap career, and he was rapping about bananas. Um, it was terrible, <laughs> but we had such a good time. And what's so funny about like some of them too? It's like they don't pretend to be. They don't even pretend to be good. No, no. But they're but that's the best part about it is they're not even trying to be good. They're just they're just terrible. <laughs> the uh, oh my god. Oh my. I... But it's great that all that stuff is out there and like now it's so much more accessible because of streaming. You know, like it's it in the 80s that stuff wouldn't have been accessible at all. And it's just it so... just would have never gone anywhere. No. And and like it's 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 funny I was talking to the guy who is the creator of Slasher, the social media app. And it, and it's and it, I said for better or for worse, I think like horror is almost 
the last line of defense in a decaying culture. Um, uh, like, you know, we're the ones who are trying to, to have longevity of the art form. And, and it's, it's crazy to, to think, I love it. I love the challenge. They, um, uh, you right. know, but they seem to be the, you know, the people in that community seem to be the only ones interested in bringing more people into the community and, and, and being more inclusive and being in more involved. And it's, it's a really powerful and really cool thing to be a part of. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting too, because. I'll, I'll use something that Mick Strawn said to me. Well, he actually tells people this on occasion, but um, we were literally like for us in that industry, um, you know, we were just like one step above porn. So it was like you had, <laughs> you had the porn business and then there was horror and then there was everything else. So we like the industry itself kind of shit on us anyway. And we were only one level above the porn stuff. So it was like, we aren't any, we aren't that special anyway. So like, that's why everybody doesn't care. Like everybody's so cool to each other. Very few people got out of horror and, uh, you know, and made it big. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's something to be said. So, um, I do want to switch up gears a little bit. Um, uh, cause I, I kind of tie it back a little bit. Um, my, my dad is not the biggest horror fan, passive horror fan. His favorite horror movie, it's a remote drop, a drop movie for him, is the original Tremors. He absolutely loves the, you know, the original Tremors. He's like, he's like, oh my God, they're so stupid. I can't, <laughs> I can't turn it off. I love it so much. And then obviously I, I love the sequels, you know, and obviously you had a, you know, a, a pretty good hand in that. So I, I wanted to talk to, you know, about some of your experiences with the, with the Tremors world. Well, with Tremors, it's in, it's an interesting story because, like, at that time, ADI was a relatively new shop. Those guys came from Stan's. You know, they were they were the big they were the big shots at Stan Winston's. And um, Alec and Tom, like, I had no idea what the movie was about. Um, and then when I found out initially, like, I didn't know when I you know when I, when I was involved in making the Graboids. I was excited about it, but um, once we we saw the film, we went to the screening. I was like, "Oh, this movie's kind of dumb," <laughs> <laughs> and and I didn't, I I wasn't excited about it. But look, you know, I, I really grew to love it. It's it's it was a initially I was like, "This is not my thing," uh, but as I grew older. I appreciated it more and more, and and today I really, I absolutely love the original Tremors, and because of a couple of things. One, you're looking at a film that was a completely original monster movie, made in the '80s, the very late '80s, but nonetheless, um, and it was pretty family friendly. Like, yeah, there's some kills in it, but it's nothing that you know, it's something that scares the shit out of kids, but it's not to the point where you can't take your kids to it. So, you know, and, and, and once I became a father, I was like, you know, that was a thing for me. I wanted to show my kids tremor. So, and that I felt like that's a good introductory film. So I really, I love it now because of that. It's a great film. You can introduce your kids to horror. The, um, I, I absolutely love that. 
the um, uh, and I know that uh, that Bert is uh, Zach's spirit animal. Um, uh, <laughs> they uh, <laughs> he absolutely loves I absolutely him. love oh. Bert. He's hilarious. Fuck. They... <laughs> you know what I did? You know what I have here is I have um, um, I have license plates, Gummer license plates that Ooh. I that I sell <laughs> at shows. I usually I don't have it in here. It's downstairs, but I have a Gummer license plate. Ooh, that, that, that's that, interesting and awesome. That is that yeah. is awesome. Uzi, Uzi for you. <laughs> the, um, uh, did you get to hang out with 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 any of the cast and or have any experiences with them or no, was it kind of separate? No, no. I had I had my my uh, involvement in that was very limited. It was just basically, as you guys know, like there's multiple scales of graboids done in that film. Of course. And and Kevin Reeder and I came in and we just did the one to ones. We did the molds for the one to ones, and we did the heads for the one to ones, and then we were done. Okay. Nice. Um, I have a question. I noticed on your IMDb you have credits for Abyss. Uh, what was your role yes. on that movie? Um, just a lackey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shop kick around. I don't know. Okay. Um, no, I was I was on that film with Steve. Um, you know, just generally like more like a lab tech. You know, just because we really that film there was so much being done at Steve's shop at the time because Steve, you know, Steve's the one guy that taught me. Hey, there's nothing you can't do. Just have him throw more money at it. Um, that's one way of doing and it. And yeah, that was one of those films where okay, we have to figure out how the fuck we're going to do this because these. While while the creatures themselves were, you know, great, like design wise and like we knew how to do the animatronics. We knew how to make them. Um, the key was putting them in water and having them work. Ooh, water. So we got this, Steve got this giant 500 gallon acrylic tank put in the middle of the shop. And uh, I don't know. There's it's funny because if you go look, there's a there's a, actually a video clip of Steve. <laughs> at the very end of it, taking that creature and like throwing it on the ground. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's on, it's on YouTube. You guys will have to look it up. Absolutely. Um, that's how he felt about it at the end of the film. But, uh, you know, it, Cameron is a tough guy to work for, number one. And it was a big deal uh, for Steve to be involved with it. And it was like, that's an amazing film. And the effects that were done in it are fucking incredible. So huge props to Steve and everybody on that on that crew for that because I still love that movie. Yeah. Um, and having been even the tiny part of it that I was, you know, even being just a shop kick around, it's pretty pretty proud thing to be part of that, you know. Um, but I remember like we had issues with dropping that thing in the tank and it turning yellow. Oh. Like we couldn't find a material. It would turn. It would like turn colors and. It's like you think it's going to be clear and it's going to be fine. You drop it in the tank, it changes color. You're like, fuck, burn this thing. You know, the, that's uh, that's where Steve was. He was just like, I, you know, and we finally got it where, you know, we found the right materials and it worked and um, worked well. You know, Nick, we never learned from Jaws, man. We, we, we were like, we can we can work with water. It'll work fine for us. <laughs> the, uh, it, it wasn't a complete disaster for Steven Spielberg. But it'll be yeah, the shark is not working. The great white broken again. To the, 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 the great white turd, as they called it. The um, uh, yeah. the um, yeah. man. Oh, that that the behind the scenes story of that movie is almost better than the fucking movie itself, and that is saying something. 
because I Absolutely. love that movie and and it's crazy. So you know, and actually on that vein, you know, are there any like really uh, you know really interesting stories that that strike to you that like you know where maybe things went wrong or are funny stories on on set or anything that you that? Well, that... I do have an interesting abyss story. So so Ooh. that was another one I was kind of bouncing around between George's shop and Steve's shop, and uh, we had a miniature. It's funny because I. I think it was probably about four or five years ago now. I ran into Michael Bean at a convention. No kidding. And uh, and I, 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 you know, I'm I'm fairly friendly with his wife. His wife's actually really cool, Jen. Um, but I hadn't seen Michael in thirty some years until that point. I think it was Days of the Dead, Las Vegas that that I was at with him. And uh, <laughs> I went over to see him, and I'm like. Because we had this miniature uh, when Michael dies in the film, you okay. see the the pod going down and it just cracks and breaks. Well, we had the pod in George's shop, and there's this little miniature Michael inside of it, and he was just a little puppet, so we puppeteer it. But uh, I, you know, I went over to Michael's table and I'm like, "Yeah, sorry for killing you, man. Sorry for killing you." <laughs> the uh, so you participated in the uh, the the almighty but- tradition of killing Michael Bean. Yeah, killing Michael Bean. <laughs> but man, what a what a he is one of the coolest actors I've ever worked with. And like I love talking to him today because like the guy is really a good actor. Like I don't think even though they had him on Mandalorian, I still don't think they've ever given him big enough roles. The guy is a fucking amazing. His his role as coffee in Abyss, like alone that that character arc that he takes from being just a mil- a really hardcore military guy to the fucking insanity that ensues within his head and the paranoia and translating that into something that's believable. I was just so blown away by his performance in that film. And, um, yeah. like, it's just really cool. But like, so the story I was getting at was when that ship comes out of the water at the end, the big spires. Mm-hmm. So the funny story is George sculpted that ship. That ship was in the middle of George's shop. And it's probably, I don't know, 10, 12 feet wide. Um, but the spires were on it. And and I think – I can't remember who suggested it. But somebody suggested that George put his mark on it somewhere. So on the back of one of the spires, I think there's – I swear to God there's a photo of it floating around somewhere. I need to get a hold of that. On the backside of one of the spires is this stack of skulls. <laughs> it's a stack of skulls and it's just something really surreal that everything's melting into each other. And it's just a scream, Screaming Mad George did like a Screaming Mad George piece on the back of one of those spires. <laughs> if I could have chopped that fucking thing off and taken it home, you bet your ass I would have. <laughs> that actually would have been awesome. That would have been that would have yeah. been dope. The um, uh, you know, and by the way, I'm I'm right there with you with Michael Bean not not getting there and not getting the credit he's he's dude. Um, uh, you know, just being you know the the guy you know um in so many different things and uh, and also too is is stepping up to the plate in Alien too after the other guy um, yeah. got arrested for the heroin bust and everything else and then like literally like right before you know at the last possible second stepping in and and kicking yeah. so much ass and kind of. Just being the odd man out because they had no the whole like you know original crew knew each other for so long and he kind of just got thrown in at the last minute and yeah. uh, and, it, and it's it was yeah he's never I've always uh, loved but his I mean work. like at the time he got some decent roles like yeah. Abyss was a decent role for him but but I swear to God they just took him out of it so fast because 
I, I still don't know why, because he should have gone a lot further in his career than than he did, because he's an incredible actor. The last thing I, I saw him in was, it was a video game, funny enough, Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon. It's just essentially this homage to uh, 80s action films, and it's just complete right. balls-to-the-walls first-person shooter that is hilarious and awesome, and he does an amazing performance in it. Uh, you actually yeah. play as him in it. You're just going nuts. It's absolutely yeah. awesome. If you play games, I do recommend checking it out. <laughs> The um that's no that's fantastic man and when it's kind of cool to to hear that he's a really nice guy as well I mean that's that's always a nice a, a, a nice bonus into the into the mix which is which is really cool the um uh, you know I, I kind of wanted to take a step back for just a moment and um uh, you know and talk about like one of your earliest and and I apologize if we already covered it but what was one of your earliest endeavors into into FX you know um on a, you know, maybe independent stage or a professional stage? What was one, some of your first in, uh, endeavors uh, into the art form? As as far as Projects. doing effects or as far as actual viable film? Um, as, as in doing effects, the, um, uh, you know, in any, in any capacity. Just, just different performances on stage with my band. Okay. You know, different, different things like that. And then what about within films? The, um, uh, the, I know you mentioned about the bands, but I, I don't want to make sure we didn't well, miss your early. Career. So there's, there's a great story and it's funny because people find out, have a hard time believing it was my first film, but, uh, my timing in, in becoming roommates with Steve Johnson was really sort of, uh, re- really good timing because he had left boss film and had decided to go start his own shop. So that was the beginnings of XFX. He was sharing uh, shop space with Todd Masters. I don't know if you guys know who Todd is, but uh, sharing shop space with Todd Masters. Um, and asked me to come and work on Night of the Demons. No kidding, really? That, that, was, that was my first project. No shit. What were, what were you doing? What were you doing on uh, on that? Were you doing the actual facts, or you just well, running around? Well, what's helping? funny is is I had the right look at the time, uh, and being in the band I was in, I was very you know I had a I had a very long mohawk, it was black, and uh, you know I I had the eye makeup on and shit, and he was like, "Your look is perfect. Can I can I drag you into the shop and we're gonna do a test makeup on you for this." And so there's test makeups of me as like with the teeth and the and the you know Angela's pretty much a lot of Angela the Angela and Night of the Demons makeup. Yeah. I still have a proof sheet of that whole set of photos, but um yeah, so they did a test makeup on me and um and he was like, Well, why don't you come and make you know, why don't you come and make rubber monsters? And so that was one of the first tasks I was given was to make those teeth. That's 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 fantastic, man. That's 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 really that's that's, that's really fucking cool, actually. Like I'm a, yeah. They um uh, that that's that's awesome, man. They um uh, so I know I had uh, one one more question, and then I know Zach wanted to get into some um of your maybe some of your writing credits and a couple of the things that we talked about. But I, I'm a I'm a huge Slipknot fan, so I definitely want to talk about your experience uh, working on one of their music videos. Um, and how that all came about, because uh, I'm like I said, I'm a fan, a metal fan, and I've liked Slipknot for a very long time, and they're obviously massive horror fans. I mean, how I think <laughs> the lead guitarist was on In Search of Darkness without the mask and everything else, just talking about bullshit and about fucking horror, and um, uh, you yeah. know, and so I'm very curious how you became involved in that, and, and you know what happened. 
that well as far as Slipknot goes, that was really uh, pretty pretty cool. Um, you know, as you know, I was roommates with Steve Johnson, and you know, he brought me into all of this shit. And I was living, I'm living out here in in Vegas, and I get this phone call from Steve after gosh, I don't know, thirty some years. I had seen him at show, at like I'd seen him at Monster Palooza. You know, said hey, had drinks, whatever. Just kind of casually, but then I get this phone call in 2019 from Steve, and he's like, "Hey, I'm going to be shooting this music video up there. I'm I'm starting to do some of these, you know, these con concepts for these things for this music video for Slipknot. Do you know who Slipknot is?" I was like, "Yep, I know who Slipknot is." <laughs> Say so, lesser. So uh, yeah, so he's like, "Oh, let me put the." He's like, "Cause you know, since you're out there, you probably know a lot about production out there and stages and blah 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 blah." So he's like, "I'm gonna put the producer in, in touch with you." So basically, uh, that was kind of my, you know, getting a phone call from Steve after thirty some years and him saying, "Why well, I, I definitely want you on this. I want you to help me make sure this stuff looks right." Um, you know, get, if you have effects people out there that we can bring to set, please get them together. So I was pretty much charged with hiring all the effects team for here. And, uh, and then on top of that, helping find a location and, and different, different things for the shoot. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of how that happened. It was just in 2019, Steve called me and, you know, we were reunited to do that project and what a fucking cool project. It was, I can't remember, it was 16 or 18 hour shoot and, and, uh, like everything went off really well. I had one girl that freaked out inside the, the pod that we slipped her into, but that like one girl out of 15, I hired 15 dancers and, and, uh, one girl, you know, usually it's way more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Because people don't realize that they're claustrophobic until you put them in that situation, so it was it was pretty. I felt we were pretty lucky, and she God, she felt horrible. I felt so sorry for her. She was like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm so upset. I'm just like, don't worry about it. You didn't ruin anything. We got other people here. We just stick somebody else in the pod, and it's done. Just go rest, chill out. Everything's good. Nice. How was the band? How what was uh, um, what was it like? Those guys are working like? fucking awesome to work with. I mean, they are, <laughs> God, they I'm are so just, glad to hear that. They are just so fucking awesome. I mean, I like it's funny because because Sean like Sean's kind of the you know he was the leader of that entire group at the time, and he was directing that video oh, um, no because I don't know if you guys know Nero Forte as a video. But have you seen – like there's an expanded version of it called Pollution. It's it's really a short film. It's like 20 minutes long. I have not seen that. That was, that was Sean's vision. Nice. Like he made a 20-minute 20, 20 short film. So go find that Pollution and, and watch it because it's – from start to finish, it is fucking art. And what I loved about that was um, Steve – Steve wasn't up here yet and those guys were coming up and he couldn't get here until like really late. I think on the Friday, Friday night or something, it was, it, he was getting here really late on the night before. And he's like, they're going to be there. We got to have a pre-production meeting. And, and then Nick Neary, the producer called me and he's like, we're going to be, we're going to be at the stage at this time. And I, he's like, I need you there because uh clown's going to, 
tell us all, you know, kind of talk to us about what we need to do and how he, how he wants to do things and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, I get it. So I wind up going to this thing and he's talking like, cause it's great. Cause, cause Sean Crahan is a, he's, a, he's, he's another one. That's like an artist. He's an artist. He's constantly thinking about visuals and he's talking and like, I'm looking at the faces of these people around and I'm going, what the, f-? nobody's getting what he's saying. So like, he's talking about doing, you know, doing the set this way. He's like, I just really want everything kind of white and I want to kind of utilize the lights and do this with the lights and that with the lights. And, and I can see this blank look on everybody's face and I'm like, so you want to paint everything with light? <laughs> and he was like, exactly. That's what I want to fucking do is paint everything with light and that is because everyone's just kind of staring at him. And I'm like, oh, all right, he needs he needs to hear that somebody gets it. <laughs> so so that was just kind of a funny thing in the pre-production meeting. But, um, yeah, he he's amazing to work with. Uh, Corey's hilarious. Corey's great. Um, Jim Root, like all those guys, they're super nice, super fucking nice guys. And uh, it was interesting to work with them at that point because, you know, like. I didn't really like my daughter loves Slipknot and I had, I had, first of all, I had no idea. And and I told her, Hey, I'm going to be working on this music video. And she's like, Oh yeah, what are you doing? And I told her and she lost her fucking shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so of course I had to get her a shirt, of course, but um, naturally, you know, uh, it, it would have been more fun to take her on set, but um, it wasn't, wasn't able to do that at the time. But yeah, those guys are really, really great to work with. I felt like that entire crew, everybody that I brought in, I brought in a bunch of people that worked for Tom Devlin. Um, Tom would have probably worked on it as well, but he was injured at the time. But he was on set with us making sure that stuff happened, you know, because Steve and I would take these girls onto set and, you know, Tom was kind of monitoring what was happening in the makeup room. Um, But everybody I brought onto that project, like we... Boom. We were on it. Everything happened like it was supposed to happen. There wasn't any like real issues. It was probably the, one of the smoothest productions I've ever done. It, it's fucking awesome, man, when everything is, is just, just firing on all cylinders. And, the, um, it and makes... two, I was – it's two. It was kind of funny. Like, you know, you uh, we waited until – I think we had to wait until January of 2020 for it to actually come out. Because they had finished the video, Warner Brothers wasn't ready to release it until late, late part of January 2020, and then of course 2020 that pandemic hit. So uh, it was a really awkward thing when it finally got released, and then I was just like, I saw the music video, and I was like, they've only showed like a f- fucking tenth of the shit we did here. Uh. And, and then I contacted, like, it's funny. I contacted the producer and I was like, whoa, whoa what happened? <laughs> like, there's like hardly, hardly anything in it. And they were like, yeah, you know, the song's kind of short. So like we had to put the best of, of what we did in there. And he's like, but he's like, we're going to be releasing a 20 minute short that has all the great shit in it. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. So that's pollution. And that's, that's Warner brothers had their thing that they wanted to release the music video and then Sean got to release his short film, which is that version of it, which is way cooler. 
Nice, nice. We definitely got to check it out. So I know that Zach had a few things on, on like some current projects and like writing credits and a couple of different things that were going on. Yeah. So I noticed that you're directing a, I believe it's a feature right now. You're directing something. And in fact, I yeah, see the poster of it on the background. Right here. Yeah. So uh, what's the project? Um, there wasn't much info on IMDb. So yeah, just. Yeah, no, what is there's it? not because I can't like I can't get too into details. Um, I am. The, my co-producer is Lynn Lowry, okay. which I'm sure you know who that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's based on an original script uh, by David Durston. Um, it started there. I did not. I didn't really write it. I gave it to my writer that wrote Campfire, and that's John Loman. But I did develop the story with him. So I, I, while I didn't physically write it, I still had a lot of input and. The greatest thing about that script is um, you guys. You guys know who Mick Strawn is, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, I actually so, met him so, at the New Jersey Horror Con back in 2019. Really cool guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I love Mick because in between his production design gigs, like he actually filtered scripts for Paramount. Mm. And and a couple other companies too. I think I think New Line had him doing a bunch of stuff, and like he would go through scripts and read them and see if they were any good. And he would pretty much pitch the shitty ones and keep the keep the good ones. But uh, Mick is really tough on scripts, <laughs> and I've always had him look at stuff, and he's always had stuff and changes that he wanted to make. But when I gave him the final version of Phobia. He read it and he was like, I think, I think the phone conversation was something like this. Damn, this is really dark. And I was like, okay, I know it goes some dark places, but it's, you know, it's a social commentary. And I feel like it's really, I want to put it in your face. You know, the story, I want to put this in your face of what these issues are, but at the same time, scare the shit out of you. So yes, it goes some really fucking dark places. But he was like, I don't have any changes. This script is really fucking good. <laughs> He's like, this script is really good, but it's really dark. <laughs> he just get, I'm like, I know it's dark. <laughs> and then I gave it to Lynn and Lynn, fuck, she just loves it. So it's, it's going to be fun. I've got her like she's not only co-producing it with me, but she is uh, playing the grandmother in it. Um. And, uh, I actually, I'm trying to, I haven't heard back from her yet. I don't know if I can say this, but, um, I'm trying to get toy Newkirk in to co-produce it with me. Very nice. Um, Very cool. She really wanted, I, I talked to her about it. I gave her the synopsis of the story and she's like, and this was actually at Chicago where, where I was with you guys. I had, oh. I talked oh, okay. to about it there. So. Yeah, so uh, she was super excited to read it. I haven't heard back from her yet. And then um, another gal that wanted to be involved in it was Carmela McNeil, and I gave her the script recently too. So I'm hoping that they'll be very interested in being a part of it. There's another um, nice young lady that uh, she's uh, a teen actress. I spoke with her and her mother because it was very important to me that there's some really dark stuff that happens in this movie. And, and this gal, Lexi Graves, uh, 
very good little actress. She's really, really talented girl. Um, but I was super concerned cause she's under 18 and I'm like, I don't know if the subject matters, you know, there's some pretty gnarly things that happen in this film. And I'm like, let me talk to your parents about this before we go any further. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, I just don't know. There's some pretty dark stuff that happens and you know, I want to make sure they're good with it. So she might be involved in the film. Um, uh, but there's a lot happening with it. And, um, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I had another one I was really super focused on, uh, called campfire. That's an anthology, but, um, I don't know if you guys, you know, I don't know if you guys have tried shopping funding recently for any, any films, but it's not easy right now. (laughs) A little difficult right now. Terrible time to try and get money from people. Uh, I had three investors just before Russia, Russia invaded Ukraine at the beginning of the year and um they subsequently jumped ship uh so i've had a hard time getting anyone involved since because the economy is so up and down um but uh, i do have somebody interested in phobia so i got to get the rest of that together and get these people together and on board and um hopefully we can make this film before the end of this year that's awesome. The um, uh, you know, I um, I think you kind of answered a little bit, but you know, how does it feel to get into the captain's chair, um, uh, and kind of run the ship and 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 you know, and have <sighs> have everything, you know, because you've worked on a lot of different sets, but you know, but yeah, being the captain's a little different. So I was curious. How you, well, I'll tell you. How I'll tell you that. why. I'll tell you why I decided to do that. Um, a big part of it is uh, I did a tour during the pandemic. I was on the road quite a bit with Lynn Lowry, and we had a lot of discussions about uh, this project in particular. And she she had sort of started had a few false starts with getting something done with her idea, and um, she's such a wonderful lady. Um, and I think she's been burned a lot and I, you know, I kind of had the discussion with her and I'm like, well, I'd really be interested in doing it, but how would you feel if I directed it? She's like, I would love if you directed it and sort of, you know, it's, it's interesting because as, as the year went on and I started to develop the script and I started to get everything in place, uh, I caught up with her at Houston horror film festival this last, what was it? A couple months ago. And I had dinner with her and, and we were talking about it and, and she said, I'm, I'm just shocked that you still want me involved in this. And I'm like, she, she's like, I mean, outside of being an actress, cause at first she was hesitant to like co-produce it and was like, just sort of giving me control. And I'm like, no, Lynn, this is your idea this, you brought this to me. Yeah. So like, I, I, I told her at dinner, I'm like, I will not do this film without you. And I think it really like I think I almost made her cry because like she's she was so used to people just taking something and running with it and not involving her to the level she should be. But she's she's got a lot of insight and she's got a lot of knowledge and and she's done a lot of films. So I want her involved in that creative process and I want her involved in producing it and I want you know, I won't do it without her. And, and I don't, I think she's been told that a lot, but never given that. Hmm. But I, yeah, I wouldn't do the film without her. So 
that's that's uh, that's, that's, that's she's fantastic. she's a vital part of it. Of course. The um, of course, and you know, and we've and we've certainly dealt with our uh, um, troublesome issues and and burning of bridges and and being screwed over and you know and several yeah. other things. And dear dear friends of mine have had the same experiences as well. You know, completely separate yeah. from us. So I can certainly understand you know understand that. So you know what what have you know what have been some of your your big surprises being in the in the in the captain's chair? Um, uh, you know, and what are some ones that you know that you're like, yeah, I, I, I think I was expecting that. Um, well, with regards to this project, I had a whole lot of nerves. Uh, I'm not so nervous to direct as I am to make the story told how I want it told Hmm. without, without presenting the wrong image. You know what I mean? Because it's so dark and I can't say too much because like, there are things that happen in it that like I want to be a surprise because this is – let me back up a little bit. When I started to develop the story with John, it was originally going to be developed with John and a guy named Eric Christopher Myers who I absolutely loved and 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 he was an amazing writer. But he took his own life at the end of – at the end of uh, I want to say 2020, 2021. Sorry to hear that. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. Man. Yeah. So, so having Eric involved was a big deal. And I had Eric develop the initial story and then we were going to polish it. Um, but when Eric, uh, Eric passed, um, I had to start from scratch because, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of things that go into that with him developing part of the story. So I had to go another direction and, that was a huge – that was like falling off a cliff and then trying to climb back up, you know. And uh, it was hard because not only did I lose my friend, um, but at the same time it was like how do I honor him and then still still tell the story the way I want it told. Um, so it's it was really challenging to get it back on course. And, um, you know, it's like, I know what I want to do and I know how I want to tell the story. But when I started talking to John about taking, taking the idea and rebuilding it, I wanted him to, to look at what Eric had done, um, and say, I want this impact, but we can't tell this story. We have to tell a new one. So what I told John was, I said, at the end of this, this is what I want. I want people to walk out of the theater with that look on their face like, what the fuck just happened? I want them thinking about it and I want it to bug them for days. And that's that's what I got from Eric initially. The story that I got from him initially, uh, he did a synopsis for me. He didn't write the entire script out, um, but we did enough of it where I felt like, you know, I, and he kept getting me to re- he was kept asking me to read it and I'm like, okay, I'm going to read it and then I'll get back to you as soon as I'm done reading it. Well, I didn't get back to him for like five days after I read it and he thought I was mad at him. He thought he didn't give me what I needed and I was like, no, dude, you fucked me up. Like you, the end of that story had me fucked up for five days. I had to clear my head and then get back to you. Jesus. You gave me everything I wanted. I'm like, you gave me everything I want, every bit of it. 
so that's kind of where we had to restart and I wanted that same impact because that's what I want. I want the audience to leave and be like, oh my God, and then really think about it and think about how it translates to today and things happening in the world today um, while still people people saying, oh my God, that was one of the coolest horror movies I've seen because it's 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 dark and it's it goes dark places, but it's it's uh it's pretty cool. <laughs> that's that's that sounds cool. amazing. I'm, that's I'm awesome. Pretty excited, and I, it sucks because I can't like I want to share all of it with you guys, but I can't. You know. No, no, no. You got. We'll um, see it at some point. Yeah, we'll we'll see it. I'm, Don't I'm worry. Looking forward to this project now. When it comes yeah. out, we'll be going to see I'm it. Super stoked. There's a lot of there's a lot of death in it. There's a lot of <laughs> a lot of really awful things that happen, and that's that's not necessarily a good thing, but it's all pertinent to the story. It's all a very important part of the story. So, so saying that it's, it's kind of like, um, God, what was that Korean film that came out? Uh, parasite. Yes. Parasite. Very similar kind of walking away from it with that. That's sort of what it's like. I'll say it's probably a little darker than that one. Wow. Nice. That's a dark film. That's a dark film. And that has a good impact, but that's very similar lines of the storytelling. Um, Fair enough. I just go a little, I just go a little deeper earlier on. I'm going to have a little bit more of a, you know, a, a dig and everything else. So, um, yeah. so, so Zach, real quick, you know, do you have any other questions before I get to the question of the podcast? No, that'll be everything. Thank you very much. The, um, uh, so, so Nick, we have a tradition here. We, we wrap up our podcast with uh, a question of the podcast that I do not plan in advance. I literally just make it up as we go on. <laughs> um, uh, the, um, and I think that it relates directly to what we were just talking about. You kind of already said an answer, but I kind of want to hear if you have a different one. Uh, what is a film that I can even go horror or not horror um, that left a very um, deep and almost, I say, dark impact on you as you left seeing it and you went, you went, oh, shit. And then in in um, our tradition, Nightmare's tradition, you have the opportunity to answer first or you have the opportunity to pass um, uh, as per uh, a guest tradition. So um, any movie, horror or not horror, that really <clears> – <throat> That, that really like punched you in the gut and really left you with that exactly what we're talking about that feeling that's a, tough, that's a really tough question because you know I've seen a lot of film in my years and and I've taken bits and pieces just like music I've taken bits and pieces from from lots of them and you know whether it's visual or a type of story um, that I like um, and and they're all like there's there's just this huge list of stuff that I draw from. Uh, so it's very that's a very difficult question to answer. Um, I will say that one film visually, there's there's two films visually that I loved, and one people might laugh at this because it's like you know uh, what's her name Jennifer Lopez I think is in it. Um, I didn't think that the story per se was the greatest, but the movie, the cell visually, visually, I was awestruck by everything that happened in that dream world. Um, I thought that the visuals in that were incredible. Um, and 
another one visually and story-wise that I really, really liked was 13 Ghosts. Yeah, that's a really good one. That's a really, really uh, fucking good I, one. I thought that was a very underrated film at its time and did not get the attention that it should have. Um, it, visually beautiful. No, it, and yeah, story, no, story wise, it was great. Um, I thought those both had, you know, those two films were really, really good and probably a big influence on, I wouldn't say they're the biggest influence on me, but they're the most recent. Sure. Sure. Um, uh, you know, I think uh, for me though, the, the, the one film that, um, that, that made me feel dirty afterwards, like soul crushingly dirty, was Sicario society? <laughs> no, well, I mean that too, but but that's in a different freak out way. But like, oh my, it, 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 <laughs> that, that I mean, movie just makes me need feel like I need a shower. Yeah, yeah, it, the oh my, just just to get rid of the KY jelly. Um, yeah. but but the one movie that that made me just just feel so of the dirt and grime of the world was Sicario. Um, uh, oh. I, I I I I remember leaving that, and I'm like, I I feel so fucking dirty. Like I just yeah. feel so the the grime and disgustingness of 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 governments and gangs yeah. and human depravity and also Absolutely. to the the willingness to accept those things. Um, yeah. uh, and 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 not only that, it's it's necessity it's a necessity for functioning governments to to accept that behavior. Just I felt like Emily Blunt, uh, Blunt at the end of the movie. That's how I felt. I felt exactly wow. the way that she felt. It, and I also know a lot about that. You know, I have friends, you know, that 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 work for Border Patrol and have dealt with MS-13 and 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 those gangs and 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 like and I know the stories and and I just felt exactly like Emily Blunt at the end of it, just dirty yeah. and hating everyone, just hating our government, Mexico's government, right. um, our federal agencies, the 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 cartel. I hated everyone. I just felt see that's dirty. that's the beauty of storytelling. If you're a good storyteller and your audience leaves feeling like they're part of that, that's huge, man. And that's that's what I'm trying to do with phobia. I want to and, and phobia. Let me if I can back up a little bit. Sure. Um, th- that kind of story coming from you and coming from I can't tell you how many fans I've talked to. Um that the reason i started doing this again and wanting to produce and direct was all of my fans that i've talked to about and the horror community in general just people like you you, you guys have all inspired me to go out and push harder to get these done because these are the things that like are important to these people it's they're like this is what horror is lacking i feel like Horror is lacking this. They're doing lots of effects and they're doing lots of gore and it's more for shock. There's really no story arc. There's no – I don't feel involved. I feel like I'm watching it and it's cool. There's a lot of kills. But they don't feel like they're in the story. And to me, like – to me, that's what I want. I want to draw that audience in and have them be part of that story and feel – even at the end, if the end is shitty – I'm sorry, audience, but you're going to feel shitty at the end of this. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're going to have it's an emotional like, impact. That's Yeah, that's what you want. You know, as a storyteller, that's that's important to me. And, and, and that was one of the biggest things for me that I was nervous about in talking about directing this was 
making sure that that story's told the right way and that 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 audience leaves feeling exactly the right way that I want it I want them to and and, and that's that's, so that's that's the biggest challenge for me yeah absolutely that's 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 uh that's the true the true artist um uh, right there you know so Zach what was uh what, what was one of uh what was one of yours that had that deep emotional impact so for me it wasn't really a movie it was more a game actually so it's a game called Soma a first person survival horror game and essentially the this, the whole point of the story is to make you understand that realistically when you're dead you're dead there's no there's no possible way for like body transferring mind transferring right. soul tra none of that shit exists it's you really only have one life and you need to live right. it to the best of your ability because otherwise it, it's nothing. There's literally right. just nothing. And it was like it, it's something I've always kind of known. But this game just really hit hard for me. And I was just like, that makes sense. Shit. Yeah, yeah that's a heavy message. Yeah. It's a heavy message. It, it, it's a damn good criminally underrated game, by the way, like it. it one of my top five favorite stories of all time. And anybody who plays video games, especially if you're a survival horror fan, I fully recommend the game Soma. It, there's, it's such a good experience. And it's not a hard game either. You can easily get through the game. You know, it, It's more walking simulator. There's a few survival horror aspects to it. But still, the story is... It, it makes it worth it. It is a damn good story. And I recommend anyone who plays games, play it. It is a beautiful, amazing... and Eye-opening experience, to say the least. Yeah, the um, uh, sounds that's, awesome. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I also couldn't recommend Nick uh, Benson more, um, who's been a tremendous <laughs> guest on. That was a that was a rough transition, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Um, uh, who uh, was a fantastic guest? I loved your stories, man. Thank you so much. This is your opportunity to look directly into into your camera and let the good people know um, all about your social medias, uh, what you're working on, where they can find you, keep up to date with you, all that great <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I keep it pretty simple. I, I'm only on two platforms, only on Instagram and Facebook. So Facebook dot com slash Nick J Benson official and uh, on Instagram it's at Nick Benson 427 and pretty much anything and everything that I can keep updated I try to do that and if you have any questions you want to throw at me you're welcome to do so you can message me directly on both those platforms that is awesome thank you so much Nick and then of course if you are fans of horror you can um, uh, go ahead and uh, check out the Nightmares podcast thank you so much for stopping by uh, you can if you are watching this on YouTube if you'd be so awesome stab that like button smash that subscribe and click that little dingy bell to be notified every time we drop amazing content uh, we are on all um, platforms when it comes to podcasts it can find Spotify Anchor all that great stuff and we are now on video on Spotify which is fucking fantastic and of course you can check us out on all social medias facebook youtube instagram tiktok and slasher the social media for all <laughs> things a horror nick thank you so much for being on we'll see you next time on the nightmares podcast bye guys take care